الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على المبعوث رحمة للعالمين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا أقسم بيوم القيامة ولا أقسم بالنفس اللوامة أيحسب الإنسان أن لن نجمع عظامه بلا قادرين على أن نسوي بنانه بل يريد الإنسان ليفجر أمامه يسأل أيان يوم القيامة فإذا برق البصر وخسف القمر وجمع الشمس والقمر يقول الإنسان يومئذ أين المفر that was just a selection that I recited from the beginning of Surah Al-Qiyamah, which is a uh, Makki Surah, and just to show you how the verses are. So what we're discussing today, continuation uh, from yesterday's discussion, is yesterday we discussed the contents of the Makki and Madani verses, how they're starkly different, and they both cover uh, different themes, uh, different points, and the purpose of both is quite different. Now, um, now, one thing that I want to introduce you to today, uh, but we'll speak about more later on, but I want to introduce you today too, is that the Qur'an is very specially selected Arabic. It's very specially selected Arabic words. Th- this is not something that any human could have created. It's designed by Allah, it's composed by Allah, but it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speech. And that's why the words that I use are extremely appropriate and they're so specially selected not just to provide the meaning of what Allah intends but also to the words are there to actually help carry the meaning in terms of the way they sound, the way they're pronounced and the way somebody's going to hear them. So the tune of the surah, the tune of the words, the tune of the ayat and the surah there's going to be, it's going to change according to its meaning. So where there's forceful arguments, for example, where there's arguments that are forceful arguments being put down, then there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a change in the tune to carry that meaning forth. It's going to also provide a cadence to your ear to help you with the meaning uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is intending by those words. So it's not just a dry piece of writing that you're going to read and just focus on it and understand its meaning. No, Allah helps that whole understanding to get to our mind and our hearts by using certain tunes, the words that sound in a certain way, that end versus the end in a particular way. For example, uh, if you were to just look at Surah Al-Qiyamah, which I started reading, you can hear there's, uh, there's like, in some cases, there's an urgency. For example, فَلَا صَدَّقَ وَلَا صَلَّى وَلَكِنْ كَذَّبَ وَتَوَلَّى and there's like a whole cluster of verses like that. Then you have, uh, for example, um, it changes to You know, the now that in itself helps to convey the meaning of that cluster of verses and then it changes again. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses very, very, very particular words for 
their sound and everything. It's like the best choice that you could have a hound from every perspective. You know, sometimes you can have a very comprehensive statement, but it doesn't sound very welcoming or very uh, attractive. But in this case with the Quran, that's why millions of Muslims the world over who do not understand the Quran still thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. Because it has a lyrical quality. It has a musical quality, right? Which is just so comforting to the ears. It is so beautiful to the hearts that you'd want to listen to it. There's so many people, many of us here. I mean, I remember when I was 14, 15 years old, I used to just love listening to the Quran, even though at that time I did not understand it. I was memorizing the Quran, but it was just this amazing, it just, just fell in place. It was just perfect tune. It was just the ups and downs and the sounds were just amazing. And I mean, I don't need to go on about that. You obviously know what I'm speaking about. So what are the differences between the Makki and Madni surahs, surahs in terms of that as well? So let us look at that today. The choice of the Makki, you see, when the contents of the Makki verses uh, and the purpose of the Makki verses uh, are to establish the deen, to get people to understand it and focus and attract them to Islam and um, make their religion solid and sincere for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There was a da'wah, right? And the da'wah, the invitation is there to a people who are stubborn, who are just don't want to move. They're, they're, they're willing to remain in their blind following of their forefathers. They've got a lot of jahili, uh, jahili uh, uh, what do you call it, fervor within them. So you needed verses there that were very strong, that were powerful, that had forceful arguments, not soft and relaxed verses with uh, a more relaxed tone or a more relaxed uh, uh, convincing process. It, it, it's they're very strong. They use lots of different things. For example, there's lots of emphasis that I use. There's lots of oaths which I use. Much of the oaths of the Quran are in Makki verses because the oaths are there. You know, once they in Medina Munawara, there was no need to have all of that emphasis because they believed already, right? So that's what you. That's what you have. There's a lot of uh, depiction. There's a lot of metaphors. There is. Uh, a lot of symbolism, there is a, uh, a, a lot of, uh, what do you call it, um, providing examples using different ways. A lot of that you actually see in the Medinan verses. Not to say that you won't see any of this in the Medinan verses, of course you will. You'll see some of that in there as well. You know, especially the lyrical quality, all of that in there, but it's a different style in that case. Not the urgent, you know, very strong argument style of the Makki verses necessarily. So, uh, also in Makkah, it was not just talking to believers, it was talking to the disbelievers as well. Whereas in Medina Munawara, the primary audience now becomes the believers, right? And there are things that they, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about the munafiqin and other people, but the primary audience becomes the believers. It's something that will really, really strike the ear. Let's give a few examples. There was a Walid ibn al-Mughira. So Khalid bin Walid's father is Walid bin Mughira. Now he was a master of Arabic, right? He was respected for his decisions and his taste and his understanding of Arabic language, right? This is Khalid bin Walid radiallahu anhu's father. Right? Now when he, he was an enemy of Islam, right? Just like Khalid bin Walid radiallahu anhu was as well at the beginning. Now his father first, he, when, he, when he eventually heard the Quran, he thought about it. And it, it just affected him. It just influenced him. And it looks like he was changing his view. He was changing his opinion about the Quran. Right? He was about to probably give bear witness that the Quran right, is mu'jiz. 
it is inimitable in terms of its style and language because I don't think anybody can deny that. So this is what he said. He actually made a statement. This is a statement that's been recorded. He said, Wallahi laqad sami'tu kalaman ma huwa bishiri wa la bisihri wa la bil kahanati wa inna lahu la halawa wa inna alayhi la talawa wa inna a'lahu la muthmir wa inna asfalahu la mughdiq wa ma huwa biqawli bashar wa innahu la ya'lu wa la yu'la. That's what he said. Amazing. Like such an amazing uh, way to praise the Qur'an. He said, Wallahi, by Allah, I have heard a speech which is not poetry. Neither is it magic, nor is it soothsaying. Nothing to do with soothsaying. It has a sweetness. It has a sweetness and a, it has the aura of beauty, the elegance and charm about it. And when you reach out to the highest levels of it, it provides fruits. It is fruit-bearing. And the, 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 lower, the lower tones of it, it, is, uh, it satisfies the thirst. It is, not, it is not the words of a human being. And it is something which dominates and it's something which is never going to be subordinate. He made that statement. That's what he said. Now the problem is that his friends, the mushrikeen, they, they said, you've messed it up for us. Right? You know, you've just made this statement about the Quran. You need to assist our gods. Unsur alihatana. You know, assist our gods. We need we need defense. You need to change your view. So he wasn't he wasn't willing to immediately say anything. He wasn't willing to retract immediately. He said, Look, let me give me some time, let me think about this. Let me think about my situation here, the whole politics and the whole culture and everything like that. So then he went. And then after that, he came back and, uh, and he said, Innal Qur'ana sihrun yu'thar. He, he then, what he had just denied earlier, he came and he said, Innal Qur'ana sihrun yu'thar, ya'khuduhu Muhammad min ba'dil alimina bis-sihr. The, the Qur'an is magic. Just bluntly said that its Qur'an is magic and Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa has taken it from some people who know magic. So this is all, this is all spells. This is all um, witchcraft. That's when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed a verse about him, which is in Surah Al-Muddathir. Obviously, this verse came down later from the beginning verses. It is, Now, just think about these verses. They're short, right? This is a translation. It's a, not a very good translation, but this is um, verily he thought and uh, determined and plotted. So that's when he went in to think about it. So let him be cursed, how he plotted, how he determined this. And once more, let him be cursed, let him be killed, in other words. right? Then he thought... Then he looked into it, then he frowned, and he looked in a bad-tempered way, he scowled. Then he turned back and became arrogant, so that all that humility that he initially overcome him went. Right? Then he said, this is nothing but magic from that of old. These are nothing but the words of a human being. That's what he said eventually. So... Allah says, I will now cast him into the hellfire. 
So this is the tension that the Qur'an is uh, being revealed in at that point. This is what's going on. These are the emotions that are flying around. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala needed very specific words and eventually just bowled them all over and it won them all over. Um, you need something very powerful to take people away from a riwaj, from a tahweeb, from a culture that they've been doing for so long. And culture is very powerful, as I explained yesterday. Culture is very powerful. But the Quran did it eventually. It changed the entire culture of the Sahaba. So that's what you have um, when it comes to the Makkan verses. That's what you have, right? That's what you have. Now let us move. Uh, let's move into um, the Madani verses, right? The Madani verses, in terms of their style, in terms of their rhetorical style, the way they composed and so on. Right, not just the meaning as we discussed already the meaning yesterday. You'll find number one, what you'll find in the Madani verses is that majority of the verses will be longer. They won't be these short, short verses like Ya Ayyuhal Muddathir Kumfa Anzir Warabbaka Fakabir Wathiabaka Fatahir. These are all separate verses in a Makki verse. In a Makki verse. Now in a Madinan verses, Suratul Baqarah, right? الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةَ وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ You carry on some other place. يَا بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ اذْكُرُوا نِعْمَتِيَ الَّتِي أَنْعَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ وَأَنِّي فَضَّلْتُكُمْ عَلَى الْعَالَمِينَ Long, long verses. That's why even when you get towards the end of the Qur'an, you'll see very short surahs, and some would have very long verses. They're short surahs though. And others which are short surahs, very short verses as well. وَاللَّيْنِ إِذَا يَغْشَى وَالنَّهَارِ إِذَا تَجَلَّى وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنْثَى إِنَّ سَعْيَكُمْ لَشَتَّى وَالضُّحَى وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا سَجَى مَا وَدَّعَكَ رَبُّكَ وَمَا قَلَى Very very short verses. So the Madani verses will have long verses, long ayat and you'll see this Surah Al-Baqarah, check it out, Surah Ali Imran, long long verses. Number two, they're much softer in their approach. They're much softer in their sound. Uh, it, it, the arguments are, are softer down there. They're, they're, there's a lot more gentleness in its approach because they're not dealing with the Quraysh uh, of Mecca anymore. Um, and it's much more relaxed in its tone in that sense as well. And obviously the reason is that its majority are, are Muslims. In that case, they're talking to the believers. So it requires a more soft approach because they were already prepared and willing. And they, they were the converted essentially. So the Quran is now speaking to the converted in that sense. Now, th there's a, a lot of stuff that some of the orientalists who just couldn't understand this, trying to say that these are written by different authors and things like that. There's a lot of objections like that, which we're not going to get into because we've understood the reason for all of this. So then, inshallah, this will formulate for, you, formulate for you an answer to all of these things that without me having to mention the criticisms and the objections about it, inshallah. Now let us move into the topic for today. The topic for today, the main topic for today is we're jumping a bit. Um, there, somebody, mashallah, I've, I've had a few uh, bits of feedback, mashallah, and I'd uh, you know keep them coming in. Allah bless you for uh, you know for the suggestions that have been provided and uh, for the feedback that I've had. Alhamdulillah, Allah bless you all. Um, 
so somebody asked about Nasikh uh, Mansukh that's going to come later. Somebody asked about the Muhkam and the Mutashabih verses. Inshallah, that will come later as well. But yeah, if you're worried about something not being covered, then you know, again, you can let us know and inshallah, we'll, we'll see if it's part of the discussion, we'll do it. We will, uh, generally, a lot of other books, what they will have dealt with, before the topic we're going to cover today, they would have dealt with the discussion of how the Quran was compiled. So remember the Quran, the Prophet would ask certain scribes to write it for him. But these would then be placed in different places and eventually they, they did not in the beginning have one mushaf in one place. It was in the hearts, right? And different people had different parts which are written. Some, very few had, um, you know, the entire Quran, Quran written in different ways. So all of that is a very good discussion. How did it get from there to the copies that we have? today and its order we've already discussed the order anyway but that will come later much later inshallah other books generally will have uh, will have produced that topic here but i'm not going to do it here we're going to discuss it later today our main discussion for the next few days actually is about tafsir of the quran because i think this is one of the most important topics of ulum al-quran because this is where you get an understanding how to benefit from the Qur'an in terms of understanding the message. Isn't that the biggest issue? I mean, you, you can know about Madani verses and Medina verses and be able to identify them and uh, get a, the benefit of why they are in the way they are and how it affects you and so on. But eventually, all of that is going to be covered in the tafsir. Right? The tafsir means interpretation, in knowing the meaning of the Qur'an, understanding the message from the Qur'an, receiving the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how we are supposed to understand them and implement them, broadly speaking. So what are, the, the, what, what are first we're going to discuss, inshallah, the principles of tafsir we will discuss, just so there's a lot of people out there, there's certain movements out there, what they do is they teach you Qur'an for like uh, about... Some weekend, you know, weekend sessions they have for about three months, so maybe for about ten sessions, and then after that they say you can go ahead and you can do tafsir of the Quran. Now, there's a lot of people who have uh, this extreme uh, uh, view, or uh, you know, uh, or the opposite, where some people think that you know Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has made the Quran easy to understand, to deliberate on, to reflect upon. So anybody should be able to do this, right? There is that view out there. Then there's another view which is out there is that no, it needs to be very specific. Uh, sciences must be known to do any tafsir of the Quran. Okay, to do any tafsir of the Quran. Now, um, the ulama have definitely mentioned that for any person to do the tafsir of the Quran, like proper tafsir of the Quran, they need to know several different subjects, which, we'll, we, which we will discuss several different subjects, right? However, there are clearly verses in the Qur'an that are about stories and a person can reflect over them because the Qur'an is there for reflection. You can't deny that idea. So there are some aspects of the Qur'an which can be understood by a common person as long as they're understanding in a sound way. All right. So we're going to try to discuss how we can benefit from the Qur'an directly, the major tafsirs that were written that you can have access to and uh, some of them are in English. I'll, I'll explain all of these things. So... This is one of the most important topics because it tells you directly how to benefit from the Qur'an, what to be careful about, what to avoid, and to see the pitfalls and to see the weaknesses in the system. Okay? There's lots of books that have been uh, written on this topic. Uh, for example, there's a muqaddimah fi usul tafsir that Ibn Taymiyyah had written. There's Kitab al-Tafsir wal-Mufassirun, which is more of a recent book. Uh, last hundred years, D uh, uh, Dr. Sheikh Muhammad Hassan al-Zahabi. It's quite a good book, actually. I've used it quite, quite extensively. 
Firstly, let's deal with definitions first. What does tafsir mean? Okay, what does tafsir mean? And then there's another word that uh, people use in this particular case is the word ta'wil. So there's tafsir and there's ta'wil. So let's look at tafsir first. Tafsir comes from the Arabic root al-fasru. Al-fasru, fasin ra. And fasara, fasrun, essentially refers to two things. To return. And number two, to, un- to unveil to make clear, to unclothe, to unveil, right? To remove the cover of something. That's why in the Lisanul Arab, which is one of our early and great dictionaries, Lisanul Arab, the language of the Arabs, it's a famous Arabic lexicon. It says, Al-Fasr al-Bayan is to provide clarity. Bayan means to be clear, right? So that's Fasr, that's what it means. Another meaning is, yes, to make something clear, to Kashful Mughatta, to open something which has been closed, to uncover something that has been covered. So that's another meaning of it. So that's why tafsir essentially is, in this context, kashful murad anil lafzil mushkil. It's to uncover or unveil the meaning of a complicated term or to a uh, ambiguous uh, wording to provide clarity in that case. So the technical definition that they've done here, right? I know some people find this really interesting, some people find this boring, but it gives an understanding of how they define this. So, you know, you have to put yourself in more of a technical kind of mind. Now, that's the way to benefit from these kind of dars, okay? Is to put, allow yourself to be in a technical mind frame, right? Mindset. Then you'd appreciate it. Otherwise, oh, no, this is just too complicated for me. Tell me some stories or something, all right? Well, not that bad, but you know what I mean, right? So... The definition of tafsir is ilmun yufhamu bihi kitabullah al-munazzal ala nabihi Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa bayanu ma'anihi wa istikhraju ahkamihi wa hukmihi. This is the more general definition, right? Is Tafsir is that knowledge. So what is the science of tafsir? The science of tafsir then is that knowledge, that science from which the book of Allah that was revealed upon his Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam can be understood. So anything that would provide clarity and explanation of the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here, that's ilmu tafsir. وَبَيَانُ مَعَانِيهِ And providing clarity to its meanings and to extrapolate its laws and rulings. Tafsir is also used for that, to extrapolate. That's why jurists, they do tafsir all the time, which means they're extrapolating and inferring rulings from the Qur'an. Meaning of ta'wil, for example. Ta'wil is a word that is also used in this context. Some people say, and some mufassir, some big mufassir, which is a commentator of the Quran, have actually called their tafsir ta'wil instead of tafsir. Lubabu ta'wil, the kernel of ta'wil as opposed to tafsir. So sometimes it's used in the same meaning, but really they're related meanings. The word ta'wil comes from awl, which again means to return, probably to the right meaning. But in a technical sense, the ilm of ta'wil is the following, okay? At-ta'wilu bayanu ma yarji'u ilayhi ma'na al-Qur'an bi muqtada al-qawa'idi wal-nazri al-daqeeq. So right from this, you can understand it's a more deeper practice. It's a more deeper activity, a more profound activity. The exposition, the exposition and clarity of that which the meaning and signification of the Qur'an eventually return to, eventually what it means, uh, by the demands of the principles and of deep comprehension or, or, or deep uh, study. 
So, if there's a more apparent meaning that comes about, and the wording itself, linguistically speaking, says exactly that, like, aqimu salah, right? Establish the prayer. That's a tafsir, right? Because anybody can really understand that once that's explained, once you look at the linguistic meaning, the, the, the meaning of it. But where you go beyond that and say, light here means something else, right? that this is what it refers to. وَلَا تَقُلْ لَهُمَا أُفْ Right? It means everything else. Then you're doing more of a ta'wil. Right? You're doing more of a ta'wil. You can still call that tafsir. It's still broadly speaking, um, providing clarity. Right? Because it's still tafsir in terms of that. But ta'wil is generally a lot more where the, the wording doesn't necessarily provide that meaning. But you need to agree with that meaning to make sense of it sometimes. Or that it's an additional idea that's coming from there more profound. That's what ta'wil is. But as I said, the scholars that use the terms interchangeably and they say it's all tafsir, ta'wil, they use that as well. And that is exactly one of the, our early mufassirs that we're going to be discussing today, is, uh, whose book has been published. And it's one of the earliest tafsirs that have been published, is Imam Ibn Jarir, Muhammad Ibn Jarir al-Tabari. Okay? And he uses the word ta'wil a lot. He uses the word ta'wil a lot. And... Uh, for every verse where he's going to discuss it, he says, the, the statement or the opinion with regards to the interpretation of Allah's words, the following words, and that's what he says over and over and over again in his, in his Quran. Right? Now, if you're going to, not going to be dealing with the Arabic of it, I mean, you might say this is all ir- irrelevant to you, but subhanAllah, we are learning about the Quran, right? It is much better than learning about you know, how many goals a certain player has scored or whatever the case is. I mean, that stuff is all pretty irrelevant, okay? And how much somebody made and all the rest of it. This is stuff that, inshallah, we hope to benefit from and uh, get some benefit from. So, inshallah, I will tell you what this is about soon, inshallah. I'll tell you what this is about soon. But let us uh, move on uh, from here. Levels of tafsir now. How deep do you go in the Qur'an? There's something that when you're just reading, you're going to understand, right? That Pharaoh did this to Musa alayhi salam. There's going to be some very apparent things that anybody with Arabic will understand. You know, most of us may be just using translations if we don't understand Arabic. Then after that, there's more deeper ideas and deeper ideas, right? So how many levels are there of that? So let us ask Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, who's essentially the leader of all Mufassirins, because the Prophet made special dua for him. And he said, Tafsir Tafsir is on four levels, right? Tafsir is of four types. There's one, one level which anybody with Arabic is going to understand. Whether he's a Muslim, non-Muslim, anybody with Arabic is going to be able to understand. There's no way you can escape it. Like, I'm discussing this. Now, if you're Muslim, you're going to get a certain benefit. If you're non-Muslim, there's still going to be things that you're going to understand from here, right? Because I'm speaking in English. That's why you're going to understand it. Now, if I use certain terminology and whatever, they're not going to understand it. They won't be able to relate to it. But they're going to, there's going to be a lot that they can understand in general, even non-Muslims who are listening. Okay? Because it's in English. That's, that's the surface uh, level which you're going to get anyway, regardless, because you know the language. That's what he said. He said, then, وَتَفْسِيرٌ لَا يُعْذَرْ أَحَدٌ بِجَهَالَتِهِ Now, this is a bit interesting. He says, then there's a level of tafsir which nobody could be excused for not knowing. Meaning, as a Muslim, as a believer, you better know that level of it, right? Which means the rules, the laws that uh, are taken from there, you know, all of that. Number three, he says, وَتَفْسِيرٌ تَعْلَمُهُ, تعلمه الْعُلَمَاءِ right? There's going to be a level which 
only the ulama will know, meaning those who've deeply considered it and studied it from others and have checked it out. And then there's a what level is beyond that? He said there's a fourth level. There's also a tafsir which is not known except to Allah. Now, in every, in, in every century, in every time, there's going to be tafsir that nobody knows but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open it up to them, right? For example, in the 14th or 15th century, for in the 20th century, in the 21st century. Right? So for, uh, there, there may have been tafsir some, and it's not the whole tafsir of the Qur'an, but aspects of the Qur'an which uh, nobody had come up with before, because the tafsir is still yet to be decided. Meaning, sorry, it's still, there's so much more that the Qur'an provides us, because the words of Allah, it's infinite. That's why there's so much more depth that the Qur'an is there waiting for people to uncover, and Allah will uncover it whenever He wants it. Okay? That's why there's still room for tafsir. But of course, you need to have the background to be able to do this and, and so on. So that's what he says. Now, that sounds like a very subtle way of somebody who really knows what he's talking about, right? That he knows there's some more meaning in there, but I can't understand it. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows its meaning. I've already explained to you um, the, the first one, which anybody who knows Arabic will be able to understand directly from the Quran. The second one is quite clear things that you'll understand from the Quran whether you know Arabic or not, and you're, you're, you know, there's going to be certain messages like establishing prayer, don't go close to zina, etc., that you're going to understand as well. Not a really big difference between the first two, right? Not a big difference between the first two levels. The third one, obviously, are those people by the ulama who really spend their time to ponder over the Quran. There was a scholar of the subcontinent, right, you know, 50 years ago, right, uh, who in Ramadan used to just ponder over one juz a day. So in 30 days, 30 Jews. And you know when I say he used to ponder over just one Jews a day, not the tafsir of it, not the broad tafsir of it. You know, you can easily do that, right? Uh, there are certain tafsirs which are written which would take you more than a day to, you know, to just read maybe one Jews, right? That's how vast the tafsirs are, maybe, right? Um, but he used to just ponder over the style of the way the Quran is written, the word choices, the, the composition, the grammatical composition that was used, just the rhetorical style in one day, that's all he used to do, just one juz, that's what, he, that's what he would take time in doing. This is what you call the ulama level, right? All the various different subtleties that are in there, the various different uh, features of inimitability, of its effective style, its sharpness and everything else that's discussed there, or the fiqh of the Qur'an, the jurisprudence of the Qur'an, the legal aspects of the Qur'an, then there's the spiritual aspects of the Qur'an. There's, it's very vast. There's many, many subjects that come from the Qur'an like that. And that is obviously all that's going to be restricted to the ulama. They're going to understand that. And the fourth one is obviously something which uh, is related to, um, for example, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the angels or speaks about the ruh or speaks about paradise or whatever, you can only know what Allah is telling us just that much. There's a lot more to it that only Allah can, uh, that uh, only uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, uh, can, can tell us in the future, which are going to be generally regarding the unseen matters. These are things that nobody's going to be able to understand today. The tafsir of those things, only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. And of course, then there's like alif la meem, taasin, uh, taasin meem, all of that, the, those words as well. Th those will only, only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will know as well. What we're going to do now is we're going to first discuss the most prominent form of tafsir in the Quran. Right? Now, when you look at the books of tafsir today, there's hundreds of books of tafsir. And 
they are uh, different perspectives that they provide. So there's going to be juridical tafsirs focused on the hukum, the ahkam and the legal matters of the Quran. There's going to be spiritual tafsirs. There's going to be uh, the, 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 the one which is most famous, you could say, and that generally people go to first is At-Tafsir Bil-Ma'thur. Remember that. At-Tafsir Bil-Ma'thur. And some of the most famous tafsirs that you know will probably be in this category. Okay? So, I would probably say that most people are going to probably mention Tafsir Ibn Kathir, right? Which is probably one of the most, probably the most famous Tafsir of the Quran. That comes into the category of Tafsir Bil-Ma'thur. There's another tafsir that a lot of people know about, tafsir al-Jalalain. That is not tafsir bil-Ma'thur, right? Tafsir al-Tabari is again tafsir bil-Ma'thur. What does Ma'thur mean? Athar. It comes from the concept of Athar. Athar means something which has been transmitted, something which has been narrated, right? That has been passed down. That's Ma'thur means that which has been passed down. So it's the tafsir using that which has been passed down, not using the opposite of that essentially would be tafsir bil-Ra'i. Tafsir with your own speculation, with your own comprehension, with your own understanding, using your rational faculties. So, if Allah, uh, if the Allah's Messenger وسلم, said this verse means this, or a Sahabi explained it, explained it, knowing you know, and you get an understanding that this must come come from the Prophet وسلم, This is all tafsir bil ma'thur, tafsir using what has been transmitted. It's the safest approach. The tafsir bil ma'thur is probably the safest tafsir that you can have where there's a hadith that explains uh, a verse of the Quran or there's another verse of the Quran which explains it, right? There's another verse of the Quran that explains it. I'll give you a few examples as well, inshallah. That is probably the safest tafsir. It's, um, there, there's many books in tafsir about that as well. They were also the first books of tafsir to be um, compiled. The first compilations of tafsir were done through the transmitted, uh, the transmitted, and this generally started off by the muhaddithin, right? So in their books of hadith, they would be transmitting because they had to. They transmitted the hadiths that they knew regarding the meaning of the Quran. That those were the ma'thurat. Those were that's the plural of ma'thur. That is what it was. So one of the first to do this would have been Imam Malik rahimahullah, right? Um, and then after that, soon, very soon after that. People, or scholars, actually started writing separate books on tafsir, taking it away from hadith collections. So while they were still there in hadith collections, in many of them, um, they started writing separate, right, uh, or, or started compiling separate collections of tafsir bil ma'thur, as they say. For example, in the second Hijri, the second uh, hundred years, right, of Islam, there were numerous tafsirs that were written which compiled together all of including all the statements of the Sahaba regarding verses of the Quran and the Tabi'een. So all of that, um, there's, for example, the tafsir of Sufyan ibn Uyayna, tafsir of Sufyan ibn Uyayna, who's a big muhaddith as well. The tafsir of the big, um, again, jurist, muhaddith, uh, teacher of Imam Shafi'i, student of Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, who is now buried in Egypt, Waqi ibn al-Jarrah, rahimahullah. Then Shu'ba ibn al-Hajjaj, one of the big muhaddithin of, uh, of Basra, right? And a number of others. So they started compiling these things together. All of these have been put together. You can find all of this in Ibn Jarir's tafsir, okay? In Ibn Jarir's tafsir. I'm showing you the English version. Right? Now, there's one pitfall in this uh, you can say genre of tafsir, 
doing tafsir through the ma'thurat, there's one issue. Although it could be the strongest because there's no opinion in there of anybody, um, there's one issue. In the first period, in, during the Prophet's time and immediately afterwards, it was quite safe. There weren't too many people who made up stuff. But when you moved into the time of the Tabi'een, which means those who succeeded the Sahaba, then what you had is there were people who started saying that, oh, the Prophet said this about this, that this verse says this, and they were making up stuff. Now, what had happened initially was that because there was really no need to provide um, chains of the tafsir to say that this was said by such and such from him and from who, you could just hear it from someone who you trusted and you would just say, this is what it means, this is what the Prophet said or something like that. However, this created a, um, this, um, there was a problem created in here because people started introducing things and claiming it to be from the Prophet Now it was difficult sometimes to determine whether something was with, uh, the Prophet uh, saying or, or not. That caused quite a bit of a problem at that time. So then the whole science was developed of making sure that um, we weed out the bad from the good, the fabricated from the true. Now, unfortunately, there was probably tafsir that we probably lost in that because there was suspicion now, all right? So there were probably some good tafsirs that we may have lost, good understanding that we may have lost that might be become weak now because uh, there was a doubt about it and, it, you know, maybe there was somebody in there who uh, may have not been so strong. So then they said, okay, we can't take this to be strong. So this is generally going to be the pitfall. I know this is getting quite technical here and you're like, why should we have to know about this, right? You have to know about this because a lot of this stuff still comes down, right? And people, they quote stuff from the Quran, from different tafsirs, because a lot of tafsirs today still have those views in there, have certain views like that which you have to be careful about. So, for example, this early tafsir that we speak about, right? Um, well, before I talk about tafsir al-Tabari, right, what, uh, what I want to mention first is one of the earliest of the Mufassirs is Abdullah ibn Abbas anhu, and whatever he says about the, the Qur'an, you know, is holy grail because, I mean, he's got a special uh, vouchsafed kind of uh, certification from the Prophet Now, the problem is that after his time, there were a lot of people who started saying Ibn Abbas said this and Ibn Abbas said that. So, even what, what, what is authentically from him has become very, very small now after they sifted it all out. That's why, according to Imam Shafi, he says, "Lam yathbut an Ibn Abbasin radiyallahu anhu fi tafsiri illa shabihum bi mi'ati hadith." That maybe there's only about a hundred or so hadith that are, you can say, properly established from Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu There's others, you know, where there may be just some speculation about, but about a hundred which are maybe for sure, right? There are different opinions about this. Now, what is the exact problem that crept into this? I've explained some of it to you. Number one the Israeliyat crept into this, right, Israeliyat, which means, while it's Israeliyat, which refers to the Israelites, so they had a lot of uh, discussion going on, right, because they had the Torah, and then they had the Mishnah, and they had, you know, uh, a number of books in, and, the, the, you know, the Jewish tradition is a very story-oriented tradition, there's a lot of stories that are told in there, they've got the books of various different um, authors in there that discuss the Torah and that discuss their tradition and everything like that. So now, because the Muslims were dealing with the Jews at that time as well, and there were uh, some high-profile uh, Jewish rabbis that had become Muslim, uh, both among the Sahaba and the Tabi'een, now some of this stuff had to come through, 
right? Now, the, the Quran had an approach. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ had told us how to deal with Israelite traditions. Now, it didn't have to just be from Jewish sources. It could have been from Christian sources. But they just lump it together and they call it Israelite traditions, right? Just because that's become the dominant term. The second problem was what I already explained, which is um, initially they, de they decided to not mention the chain from which they had heard this, to which Sahabi they'd heard it, you know, in the time of the Tabi'een. And the third one, which I already explained, is also that there was a lot of fabrications going on. So let's just deal with the Israeliyat today, right? And, and then we'll have to deal with everything else uh, tomorrow, inshallah, in the next session. So, you see, with the Sahaba, they were very careful. They would not ask, they would never ask the Jewish sources or Christian sources for what something meant. Clearly, you've got numerous hadith in which somebody would come to the Prophet ﷺ saying, I think I know what this means. A Jewish individual said, this is what it means. There's the one hadith that they came to Aisha and said that this is what it means. And she was a bit hesitant when the Prophet ﷺ came and said, yes, that's correct. So in some cases, they would say something which is correct as well. It wasn't that they were saying always wrong things. You know, some things would tally up with what the Prophet ﷺ agreed as well. So the Sahaba, they wouldn't really engage uh, in terms of trying to find out what, they, what the Jews and others felt about certain verses in the Qur'an. Okay? And if they did hear something, they would be careful about it. Because we have a hadith which says that uh, whatever you hear from them, if it conforms to what your tradition has already, something from the Qur'an Sunnah, then you can agree with it because it's just corroboration. If something opposes it, then you need to reject it because it's opposing and whatever we have now is the final word. But then there's a category in between, which is that it's neither here, neither there. It doesn't contradict and neither does it agree. So in that case, because it doesn't contradict, it says remain silent. Do tawakkuf, you know, abstain, withhold yourself from it. That's our approach. So let's just say today somebody tells you something from the Bible, right? And it goes against something in the Quran, some principle of Islam. You can reject that saying, I disagree with that. Right? Even though the claim is that the Bible came from Allah, but we know that there's been interpolations and changes in there. So that would be your approach. Now, if there's something that is in there which, is, uh, which corroborates with what we have from the Quran and Sunnah, you could say, yes, that is correct. I can agree with that. Right? However, if there's something you're not sure, like it doesn't agree, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, go against it, and it doesn't go completely you know, in harmony with it, then you remain silent. Because it could be the word of Allah, you don't know. It could be apart from the word of Allah, but you don't know that. And you don't want to deny it. Oh, the whole Bible is wrong. You can't say that. You can't say the whole Bible is wrong because there's going to be parts in there which uh, you know, were from the original. Right? And likewise, in the Torah, it's going to be the same thing from the Old Testament. That, that, so you have to be careful in that approach. That's why uh, the Prophet ﷺ said, لا تصدقوا, In another version, he said, لا تصدقوا أهل الكتاب ولا تكذبوهم وقولوا آمنا بالله uh, don't, don't confirm what they say and don't deny what they say, but just say, I believe in Allah. When you're not sure, abstain and just say, I believe in Allah when it's regarding that. So that's how the Sahaba used to deal with it. The Sahaba would never ask them about, you know, concepts of belief and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they had their belief, they knew their aqidah from the Prophet ﷺ, that's it. They, they didn't do that. However, subhanAllah, you know, um, so the one hadith that they would, uh, uh, there's another hadith regarding this. The Prophet ﷺ said, anni walaw ayah. Convey from me even if one verse, right? Co convey from me if even one verse, because our religion is a proselytizing religion. We need to convey our faith to people. Then the Prophet said, وَحَدِّثُوا عَنْ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ You can transmit from the Bani Israel, وَلَا حَرَجٍ There's no problem with it. 
But, whoever ascribes a falsehood to us, then he should prepare himself uh, a place in the hellfire. This one is a permissive one, right? This one is like, okay, you can relate something from the Bani Israel. But you see, um, we have the other narration which I mentioned to you above before, which is that don't confirm and don't deny. And then the other one, which is that whatever conforms is fine, whatever opposes you reject, and then the other ones you abstain from. When you put it all together, you understand what our methodology should be. Should be. Now what happened is the Tabi'een, the successors after the Sahaba, they were a bit more. Um, they used the. They 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 were a bit more permissive in this regard, and some of them did start to take some of uh, listen and to take some of these ideas and so on. And these were not ideas that necessarily opposed Islam. Okay, these are not ideas because they would have to be rejected. Nobody could take those. These were you can say juicy details about the story of Musa alayhi The Quran mentions only certain details about Musa and Pharaoh, right? Musa alayhi and Pharaoh. It mentions certain details about Dawud and Sulaiman Now, if you look in the Jewish Mishnah, Jewish, Jewish traditions, you're going to find a lot more detail in there, that juicy detail, right? You know, that really like makes it a more, you know, you can say a juicy, the spice for the detail. So it's human thing to want to have some juicy detail, but you have to be very careful with that. That's where they started, uh, that's where they started taking some of this stuff. And that's why in some of those who... You know, we would quote for tafsir from the Tabi'een. For example, Muqatil ibn Sulaiman. You have to be careful because not everything that Muqatil ibn Sulaiman says is clearly from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. There are Israeliyat, especially with regards to the stories that he, you know, that he could take. Now, um, so they were not. They, they, you know, number one, they were not being particular about uh, the the transmissions. So there were people fabricating. Then there was the Israeliyat issue. So this is why a lot of the tafsir corpus became filled with some of the Israel. Now remember, as I said, the Israel do not necessarily have to be wrong. All right? These juicy details don't have to be wrong. That's why the later Mufassir, many, many tafsir books today, they're very careful about Israeliyat. For example, Ibn Kathir, he's very careful. He brings some Israeliyat traditions. Some, he discusses them. He rejects some. Like if there's one that's very well known and everybody's speaking about, he will mention it and then he will reject it and say, this can't be true for this reason. Right, and those where it is uh, it is possible, then some of the mufassirin allow it and they use it. So it's nothing like wrong with, uh, you know, taking some Israelite uh, traditions from that. Remember that. So don't next time you see when you think, hey, you know, what's going on here? There's nothing wrong with it in an absolute sense. In that sense, right? The tafsir of Israeliyat, the the Israeliyat that are there, there are of three types. Okay, some Israelite traditions that we're going to find you would know that they're absolutely right and correct because there's a hadith sahih in fact um, the prophet himself mentioned him the source is the prophet where he would say that there was a person in the nations before you or among the jews there was a people there were there was somebody who used to do this that's an israelite narration in the sense that it's talking about something from that time but it's from the prophet so that's clearly fine Right? Because that's been corroborated by the Prophet Likewise, if there's something within direct Israelite traditions which is corroborated by something the Prophet said, completely that's fine as well. Number two is where you know that it's completely a lie. It's completely opposing the Quran. It's completely antici- uh, it's a antecedent. Right? It, sorry, it's an antithesis to what the Quran is saying. 
then you cannot narrate this and you, you know, you, you, you're not allowed to accept this. Of course, you can know to say it's wrong, but you can't accept this kind of tradition. And the third is obviously those which there's silence about, meaning the Quran doesn't say anything about it. The Hadith, the Prophet ﷺ didn't say anything about it. So it's neither completely in opposition and neither is it completely in harmony. We're not sure. So there, we're not going to say we agree to it and neither are we going to say that we deny it. Generally, this third category, this this much there's no they you know can you narrate this can you narrate this type the ulama say then there's not no real need for this one because it's not giving you any benefit it's not going to give you any benefit that's you know for your worldly life for your for your it's just just details it's just details just extra detail so it's best to avoid these kind of things so la ilaha illallah Inshallah, we will continue with this discussion tomorrow because it's a very important discussion about Israeliyat in, in narrations. So Inshallah, we'll discuss that uh, Inshallah tomorrow and we will move on to some of the main tafsirs and um, we will become Inshallah better aware of what tafsirs to take and how to do tafsir and where to be careful of. And anybody who's claiming to do tafsir, then you don't have to just accept it. Jazakallah khair. Allah bless you all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, uh, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.